0: Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, we are uh, in the midst of a series that we have called Good News, a series that is based out of the book of Romans, the first three chapters, as we have seen That there is some good news, some great news, some historically epic news that God offers us in Christ. That God offers us the opportunity to be uh, reconciled to Him, to have a relationship with Him, not on the basis of our good deeds, but on the basis of what. He has done for us in Christ, and this is the story of the first three chapters of the book of Romans, and we began that journey last week, and we're going to continue it today by looking at chapter 1, verses 8 to 15, or 8 to 17, I'm sorry. But before we do that, I want to just uh, ask you all a question. I want you to think for a moment back to the time in your life when you first trusted in Christ as your Savior. Back to that moment where you had just come into a relationship with Christ. Or maybe for you it wasn't the moment that that relationship began, but it was the moment that you got serious about that relationship with Christ. Whether it was a time in student ministry, a time when you were a student in college, maybe it was something even more recently uh, in your life. But think about that time when you were first really enthused about your relationship with God. And think about what that led to. It probably led to you engaging in conversation with others. probably led to you um, inviting them to come and join you in some of what you were doing around the things of God. I remember in, in 1990, as a sophomore in high school, having just come to faith in Christ, and I remember being on the playground with a group of friends, Uh, having just played basketball, and I, I remember inviting all of them to come with me to some activity at the church. I don't even remember now what it was, but I remember I wanted them to be there, and I wanted them to be there because I was so enthusiastic about what God was doing that I just wanted to include everybody around me. Do you remember those moments in your life when you felt that way? When you were first engaged in your relationship with Christ and you were excited about that? Or for, for others of you, maybe I, I, I could put it this way. Do you, do you rem- you know, you're here today because somebody else was enthusiastic about their relationship with Christ and they invited you or kidnapped you or otherwise brought you here with with them today. And you're here today uh, with them because of their enthusiasm. I remember um, back in, in 1992 when I was a, a freshman at OU. I went through fraternity rush. I came here the week before classes started. That's when it was held back then. And I went around to, to various houses, and one of the guys I met during fraternity rush in fall 92 was a guy named John Abernathy, who now is one of our uh, pastors here at Wildwood, but at the time um, was a member of a fraternity that I didn't sign, but I met him during rush. And I remember John being so enthusiastic about what God was doing that John said, hey, why don't you come with me to church this Sunday at Wildwood? And I said, Yes. And you may be here today. This room, this, this, this room and this building are full of, of students who were invited to come by somebody who was enthusiastic about their relationship with God and wanted you to be a part of it. You remember the, that moment, that season, that time. Are you here today because someone else was enthusiastic about their relationship with God? Why did that enthusiasm exist? Why were they eager to invite you? Why were you eager to invite them? It's part of what we're going to look at today. But, but before we do that, I want to just say this. If at one point in your life you had that enthusiasm, does it still exist? Do you still have it? Are you still as eager to invite those around you to come into relationship with Christ or has it waned over time? I think it has a tendency to, to, to wane, doesn't it? I think because of that, I, I find the Apostle Paul uh, such a fascinating figure who came into a relationship with Christ and decades later, as he writes this book of Romans, is still enthusiastic about sharing Christ with others. He still is just as eager to share Christ that day as he was the day he came to know Jesus. Paul says it this way in chapter 1 and verse 15. He says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul was eager. He was enthusiastic. He was excited to share this good news. And I think it's even more amazing, not only that Paul had been a Christian for a couple of decades at this point, but it's also amazing because when you think about what proclaiming Christ among the nations had led to for Paul. John MacArthur summarizes Paul's experience leading up to the writing of this letter in this way. He says that that Paul had been imprisoned in Philippi, chased out of Thessalonica, smuggled out of Berea, laughed at in Athens, regarded as a fool in Corinth, and stoned in Galatia. But Paul remained eager to preach the gospel in Rome, the seat of contemporary political power and pagan religion." Neither ridicule, criticism, nor physical persecution could curb his boldness. It's peculiar to me that Paul was eager to preach the gospel in Rome. It's intriguing. I want to know why, don't you? We have to see that today. Because at the beginning of this letter to the Romans, Paul is going to give us the reason, the rationale, the things that stirred his heart that made him eager to preach the gospel that kept him enthusiastic about the good news of Jesus Christ decades after he first learned of it. We're going to see that today from Romans chapter 1, verses 8 to 17. And it's my prayer that as we look at these verses that God will stir our hearts as well, both to trust Christ and to proclaim Him everywhere we go with enthusiasm. We're going to see that in, in verses 8 to 17 I'm going to read these verses for us, and then we'll go back and unpack them in, in kind of three movements. Uh, Paul began, we saw last week in the first seven verses, and he, he wrote a letter, he said this is from Paul, it, it is to the Roman Christians, and after he made that introduction, he's going to now begin his comments in verse 8. He says, first of all, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes." To the Jew first, also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, in these verses, we're going to see three things, three reasons that gave Paul an eagerness, an enthusiasm about proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Hopefully today, God will inspire us with these words as well. The first thing that, that Paul drew from that gave him an enthusiasm and eagerness to share the gospel related to the first of three alls we're going to see in this passage, and that is all people. There was something about people and, and all people that, that motivated Paul to proclaim the gospel in Rome. We see this as Paul works through the, the, the breadth of this section. He's always mentioning different groups of people, and he, he's mentioning them to, to paint the boundaries as if to say, there is no person that, is, that the gospel message doesn't touch. There's no person for which the gospel message is not relevant. The gospel message is one that is needed for all people, Paul says, and we see it and who he describes in these verses. He begins by talking about Christians. So he writes this letter to Roman Christians. We saw that in verse 7 last week, that this was to all those in Rome who are loved by God, who are called to be saints. He's talking here to Roman Christians. They're the ones to whom he addressed this letter. He continues that in verses 8 and following when he talks about thanking God through Christ for all of the Roman Christians because their faith had been proclaimed in all the world. He's talking here about those who had placed their faith and their trust in Christ who lived in the city of Rome. Now, Paul himself had never visited there, but he had heard of the reputation of this new church that had been planted in Rome, and, and he desperately wanted to go there and experience it. He was writing this letter to Christians, and he was eager to go and be among them because he believed that the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, was relevant to Christians. Now, this is perhaps the most basic of understandings that we would have of the gospel. If, if the good news of Jesus Christ means anything to anyone, it means something to Christians. Paul acknowledges that by, by talking about a desire to go and be among them and to proclaim the good news of Christ among them, that it would be a blessing to them. Paul says that the message of Jesus Christ is relevant to Christians, but he also goes further. He says that this message of Jesus Christ is relevant not only to Christians, but it's relevant to non-Christians as well. Look at what he says as he goes further down into verse 13. He, He says that he's desired to come to them in order that he may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. What Paul was saying there was, I'd have a desire to share this good news of Jesus Christ, not just with the Christians in Rome, but with all of the Gentiles in Rome. This was a, a way for Paul to say all of those non-churched people, all those people that haven't yet professed a faith in Christ Paul had an eagerness, he had an enthusiasm about taking the message of Jesus and proclaiming it to them, because he believed that this message had application to more than just the Christian, but it meant something to the non-Christian as well. The the non-Christian person, in this case he calls them the Gentile, who has, has not grown up around religious things, or has not grown up around the right religious things, Somebody that has grown up very far from God, Paul says this gospel message has something for them as well. He believed that this was a universal message, something that was important to every person, to all people, to the Christian and to the non-Christian. And he believed that as this message was shared, that the eternal destiny of some of these Gentiles in Rome would be changed. So he was eager, he was enthusiastic to go and proclaim it among them. But he goes further. He doesn't just say that it was to Christians and to non-Christians. Paul would go so far as to say that it was to church members, but also to pastors or to leaders. Paul talks about the believers there in Rome, and he says that he has a desire to go as a pastor and to proclaim this truth among them, that that he would bless them. Paul had an expectation of that. But Paul also had had an understanding that as they gathered and they shared about the good news of Jesus, that it would be a blessing to him as well. That as they fellowshiped around this truth that they were sinful people separated from God, but God and Christ had reconciled them to himself, that as they shared that truth, that pastor and church member alike would be mutually encouraged. Now, I think this is a remarkable statement because Paul is writing here as the man who wrote a good chunk of our New Testament. He's writing here as somebody who God had used to plant churches all over the Mediterranean world. And yet Paul here is talking to people that he's never met, but all he knows about them is that they have placed their faith and their trust in Christ. And because of that alone, he says, there's something good that will come from me being together with you because this message that we share not only is it important to you, but it's also important to me. And as we gather around it, God will use it to strengthen both of us. There will be mutual encouragement that will come from looking at this verse. This message is for all people, for Christians, for non-Christians. This message is for pastors and for church members. This message is for Greeks and for barbarians. He says in in verse 14, he says, I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. Don't you wish you knew a few barbarians? Some of you probably do. What did Paul mean when he talked about the Greeks and the barbarians? What's he talking about here? Greek was the language of the day. It was the the common language that was spoken around the Roman Empire. The educated people spoke Greek. The New Testament written into that context was written in the Greek language. And, And Greeks really liked their language. People that spoke Greek were very proud of it. And they were so proud of it that they came up with this slang term for everybody that spoke another language. They called them the barbaroi, the barbarians. And that is kind of fun to say, but it's it's kind of a rough-sounding word. Isn't it? And the reason why the Greeks would call them barbarians is because they thought that their language was just kind of coarse and rough. Paul writes and says that this message of the good news of Jesus Christ is relevant to those who, who speak the, the language of the New Testament, but also to those who speak another language. It's applicable to the educated and to the uneducated. It's applicable to those who are part of the societies that were on the inside, and it was applicable to those who are on the societies that were on the outside. By application, we look at that today and we see that the gospel message is relevant for people all over the world, regardless of the societies, the countries, the languages they speak. Why does Wildwood engage in ministry in Latvia? Why are we engaged in ministry in Nicaragua? Um, why are we involved in, in, in Haiti and, and college students going there um, last last summer? Why are we involved in ministry in China and, and places all over the globe? The reason why we're there is because we believe that God Doesn't just speak English. And that the good news of Jesus Christ is not bound to one culture, but it's for all cultures and all people in all time. Paul writes and he wants all of us to know that this message is for all people for the Christian, for the non Christian, for the church member, for the pastor, for the Greek, and for the barbarian. He keeps going. He says that this message is also for the wise and for the foolish. Now, he's not talking there about those who are part of the Mensa Society and those who aren't. He's not saying those who have an IQ score over blank and those that have one under that. I think what he's saying is the gospel message is relevant for those who make good life decisions and those who have made bad life decisions, for the wise and for the foolish, those who have a skill at living and those who have really struggled in life. The gospel is relevant to both. The reason why is because no person, even if they've lived a life of wisdom, is perfect. No person has lived a perfectly righteous life, and so sin has impacted them, just as it's impacted the person whose life looks like a total wreck. The gospel is relevant to the wise and to the foolish. The gospel is relevant to those who live in the big city like Rome, and those who live in the small towns around the Mediterranean. Paul says, I have a desire to go to you who are in Rome, verse 15. He had an eagerness to preach the gospel there, but he also had a desire to preach the gospel everywhere he went. It wasn't just in the Washington, D.C.s and the New York cities of his day, but it was to the Norman Oklahomas and in the noble Oklahomas of his day. Why is that? Because the the gospel is for all people. This good news is for all people. It knows no bounds. He goes further. He says in verse 16 that this is for the Jew and for the Greek. For those who grew up inside a culture with receiving the Old Testament and understanding the truth of God from it, Growing up with a sacrificial system and understanding that the wages of sin is death, it's for those who grew up as a Jew, but it's also for those who grew up without that understanding. It's for the the church people and the unchurched people. Those who grew up in the Christian home and those who grew up in a home that, that, that was very far from God. The gospel is relevant for all people. Why is it that the Apostle Paul was eager to preach the gospel to those who are in Rome? It's because he had a heart for all people. He believed that this message was relevant to all. And he remembered that. And it was motivating to him. I think a couple of applications that we need to draw for us today uh, relate to two different groups. I I think for, for those who have been around the church for a while, those who have uh, professed a a faith in Christ and and are are walking with Him and seeking to live a life that is is pleasing with God, we need to remember that this message that we've received that is so precious to us is not for us alone, but it is for all people, that God wants to work through us to share this message with others. Paul describes it, he says that he is under an obligation in verse 14. Some under obligation to the Greek and to the barbarian, to the wise and to the foolish. Paul felt an obligation. He felt a debt with this, with this message. And he didn't feel a debt because um, he had borrowed this salvation from God and he had to pay it back. He felt a debt because he had been given something precious and it was important for him to pass it along to those ahead of him. You might think of it of it this way. Have you ever gotten mail that isn't yours? That happens at our, our house. I mean, I think the postal service does an amazing job with all the pieces of information that are traveling around, but occasionally we will get a letter that is addressed to somebody else. When we get that, what do we do with it? Do we just rip it up? No. We feel an obligation. We feel a debt to, to pass it forward. Why? Because their name is on it. It's It's for them. And we do that because that's what we would want done to us. Some of you know, I've mentioned this before, my wife had a kidney transplant a number of years ago. She receives in the mail from mail-order pharmacy medication that is essential for keeping that kidney and her alive. If that package was sent to a neighbor instead of to us, but it had our name on it, I would want them to feel a debt. I would want them to feel an obligation to pay that forward, to bring it to us. Why? Because it's precious to us and our name is on it. In the same way, the gospel has everyone's name on it. It's good news for everyone here. And as believers in Christ, we've been given to it. We're under obligation to carry it forward and to share it with those who have not heard it, who have not yet embraced faith in Christ, that they might come into a relationship with him. This means that that the gospel is the good news for the neighbor that you love and like, and you're hoping to, to get to know more, and it's it's. it's the good news for the neighbor who has the big dog who's always in your yard who's driving you crazy. It means that the, the, the gospel is the good news. It is, it is for the person on your hall that you hope to get, go to the cafeteria with this week and you hope to become best friends with and you've already got an idea that they'll be the best man or the, the maid of honor in your wedding one day. It's, it's true for them, but it's also true for the person on your hall that came back at 2 a.m. and is playing Abba at 10 decibels, keeping you up all night. The gospel is the good news for all people, and we need to remember that so that we don't select out some of the opportunities that God wants to use to communicate his good news through us. It's for all people. That kept his eagerness and his enthusiasm. Well, I I think it's also important at this point just to just to acknowledge that some of you are here, and I, I mentioned earlier, you're wondering why are they so enthusiastic about inviting me? It's your first time to Wildwood, or maybe your, your first month here and and you're here because somebody invited you to come, and you wonder, why did they invite me? And at the back of your mind, you might have this thought, did they invite me because they think I'm not smart enough and I need some more spiritual knowledge? They invite me because, I, 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 you know, my life is, is, is foolish, and they think that I've made a bunch of bad decisions, and they think I need to be here? Do they, they invite me because they think I'm the chief of all sinners and, and that they're inviting me here so that they, you know, I, I'm, I might uh, be the one person that hears this message that is needed? Here's here's the thing, and this is what you got to know. As Christians, this is what we believe. We believe this message is for all people. That includes us, and that includes you too. We don't believe that we are Christians because we've got it right, we've got it figured out, we're more righteous. We believe that we're Christians because God has offered good news for all people. So if you're here today, the enthusiasm that got you here begins with an understanding that this is a message all people, including you. Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, and he begins with an encouragement that this is a message for all people, but he continues. He says, not only is this a message for all people, but he gives a second all, a second motivation that he draws from as he keeps him eager to share the message, and that is that this is a message of all power. It's a message of all power. Paul doesn't just have a bunch of people that need to hear something, but he has a bunch of people that need to hear something. And the power of God is available to do something for people that they cannot do on their own. Verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I think the reason why Paul says, I'm not ashamed, I think he, was, he wanted to communicate, uh, he had said earlier in this passage that he, that he had wanted to come to Rome and he hadn't come. I think that Paul wanted to clarify that the reason why he hadn't come was not a fear of the Romans. It wasn't a a belief that that the, the gospel message wasn't ready for prime time, it wasn't ready for the big city, that Paul was still honing his game. None of that was true. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. Whatever reasons had kept him out of the city of Rome, it had nothing to do with his belief about the integrity of his message. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, I'm eager to present it to you because he says the gospel is the power of God. For salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Paul wants all of us to know that in the the gospel message what happens is that the power of God does for us what we cannot do on our own. And that is delivers to us a righteousness that is beyond us. He calls this righteousness the righteousness of God. Now, I think that's a, a very important descriptor. He doesn't say it's the righteousness of man, because here's the deal. We all know some righteousness of man. Everybody in this room, you know somebody, regardless of their religious convictions, that you would say is, is somewhat righteous or has lived a, a somewhat good life. They encourage you when you talk. You think they're kind or funny. They, they help local charities. They, they have a, a human kind of righteousness. What Paul is saying here is that what is needed by humanity to allow us to have a relationship with the holy God is not a human kind of righteousness, but it's a completely other kind of righteousness, an alien righteousness that can only be given to us by someone who possesses it, namely God himself. It is God's kind of righteousness that is available to us, and it's the power of God that delivers that righteousness to us so that we might have a relationship with God. John Stott describes this in his commentary on Romans. He says, It seems legitimate to affirm, therefore, that the righteousness of God is God's righteous initiative in putting sinners right with Himself by bestowing on them a righteousness which is not their own but His. See, the good news of Jesus Christ is that in Christ, God wants to give to us a righteousness which is not our own. He wants to to put us into a a context related to our identity that makes us acceptable in God's sight. Elsewhere in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul will will point back to uh, this same language and say that in Christ, the the righteousness of, of Jesus is given to us and our sinfulness was given to him. The perfect life of Christ is credited to our account. It's a gift of God. The power of God has delivered it to us so that we might live in relationship with Him. Paul is motivated. He's he's eager. He's enthusiastic to share the gospel because he believes that the power of God is there and it's powerful enough to do something wonderful in the lives of those who hear it. I think this is really important for us to remember that it's the power of God because many times this is what we think. We think, okay... God in Christ can deliver righteousness to some people, but he can't deliver it to me. Many in this room have thought that either today or at some point in the past. You think, you know what? God may be able to deliver this alien righteousness, this God righteousness. He may be able to give that and forgive the one who has told a few white lies, but he can't deliver that to me because I had an abortion two years ago and I'm I'm dealing with that every single day and I'm beat down with it. Some are here and you think, you know what, God may be able to deliver that righteousness in the lives of those who maybe have been unkind to a few people, but it certainly can't deliver it to me who have embezzled these funds from my business and I live every day worried that they're going to find out. This this alien righteousness is only available, we think, to those who have lived other lives, not to those who have lived our lives. We've sufficiently screwed our life up, we feel, and therefore we're we're separated from God's righteousness. And And here's what we need to remember. This passage says that it is the power of God that delivers that righteousness to us. It is not our power, it's not our strength, it's not our resume. It is the power of God that delivers it to us. And God's power is greater than anything you've ever done. And you know that. Instinctively, you know that. The the, the power that could create this world and everything in it is offering to us a righteousness and his arm is strong enough to push through anything we've done, to forgive anything we've done, to, to reconcile us to him. see, Paul was eager to, to share the good news because it was to all people and it contained all power. But the third thing we need to see is that this message to all people that contained all power is accessible to us through faith, through, it's, it's all by faith. He makes that quite clear in this section in verse 16, he, he says that this This power of God that reveals the righteousness of God to man doesn't do it for everyone. It does it only for those who activate it through belief. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is for all people, but it is activated by belief. It is activated by faith. We have to embrace by belief and by faith what God has done for us in Christ. And when we do that, the the power of God delivers that righteousness to our account. Verse 17, he underscores that even more. He he says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. It's a peculiar phrasing there, from faith for faith. What is Paul trying to tell us when he says that? I think there are a number of different options. Biblical scholars have looked at this. The grammar, the language allow for a number of different possibilities. One possibility is that he's talking about the faithfulness of God received by faith in us. So, from the faithfulness of God to faith in humans that salvation becomes credited to our account, another idea in this is that it's it's from the faith of one believer to the faith of another in other words if if i've received by faith the gift of God in Christ that I'm then, then can share it to you who also receive it by faith it's in faith for everyone who receives it. A third idea is that uh, it is is talking about a growing faith that my faith begins here, but my, my understanding of God grows, and I, I continue to grow from faith to faith in terms of my trust in God. But a fourth idea looks at it merely as a, an expression talking about how it's really by faith from first to last. This is what the NIV is, has done in its translation of this concept of from faith to for faith. It's the idea that it's it's all about faith. We come to Christ in faith. We grow in our relationship with Christ in faith. And I think that that last understanding is really how I would understand this, this section, this verse. I think what Paul is saying is it's all about faith. It's not about what you've done. It's not about your resume. It's not about how much you know. It's not about how righteous a life you've lived because our righteousness is not sufficient. We need an alien righteousness given to us and that is given to us when we receive it in faith. It is belief in God that makes all of See, as believers in Christ, if you wonder why we are eager about this message, we're eager about it. We want to share it with with everyone around, not because we believe that we're righteous and we've earned salvation or we're better than anybody, but we believe that this message of salvation is available to all no matter what you have done based on a faith in all of Jesus and what He has done. And the opportunity exists for us to, by faith... It's all through faith to see the power of God credited to our account. Now, I want to conclude our time just by, by asking you, uh, walking you through a scenario. Let's just say for a moment that I were to tell you that we are going to, we need to go to Denver and we need to get to Denver in an hour and a half okay? Now, if I told you we were going to Denver and we needed to get to Denver in an hour and a half, and you better leave right now if you're going to get there, um, we, would, we would leave. And if we had no vehicles, if all we had was our feet, we would leave and we would all begin running. Now, some of you would get further than others. Adam, you would, you would be much further than me. Um, and yet, none of us could make it all the way to Denver in an hour and a half on foot, If we were to get to Denver in an hour and a half, we would need an infusion of power greater than ourselves. And that power is what? An airplane. If we could make it to the uh, Will Rogers World Airport, we could get on an airplane, a 737 by Southwest that would take off and land with time to spare. It would be possible to get there in that amount of time because a power greater than us was able to deliver to us something that would have been impossible on our own. But in order for us to get there in an hour and a half, we would have to acknowledge that. We would have to have faith in the pilot and the aircraft to get us there. I think in a very similar way, a very similar way, this is what Paul is, is, is saying in Romans 1, 8 to 17. I think what he's saying is is that the distance between us and God is so great. The need is so great. The righteousness of God is so alien, so foreign to us. We will never get there on our own. We might think some might get there further faster, but none of us can get there in the time necessary. If we are to engage in a relationship with God, we need a, a foreign power. We need God to initiate in our lives what is impossible for us, and that is what he's done in Christ. But the key is for us to get on the plane. The key is for us to recognize that and embrace that and and, and trust in Christ and, and get on the plane because we will never get there on our own. But in Christ, we can be there in less than an hour and a half. It takes only a minute. In the twinkling of an eye, the expression of faith places us inside of his vessel, credits his righteousness to our account, and carries us there. If you are here today and you have never placed your faith and your trust in Christ, know this. Jesus wants you with him. And the power of God is sufficient to get you there. And the way that relationship begins is just where you sit right now in your seat. You have the opportunity to place your faith in Christ. Let's pray. Right. Father God. I just thank you for the opportunity you've given us to worship today. I thank you that this is a message for all people. And I thank you that you have given us all power that makes it possible for all of our sin to be forgiven and for all the righteousness of Christ to be credited to our account. And Father, I I pray today that you would give us all faith that all of us in this room, whether we are reaffirming a relationship with you that began long ago or whether it's beginning right now, that we would be expressing faith in you, that we would get on the plane, on the vessel, and we would trust in your power to do in and through us what is impossible on our own. We thank you, Father, and we pray these things. Amen.